Surely it could be said that uh, for every 10 struggles we face, we have 10,000 victories to praise God for. For every 10 hardships we face, we have 10,000 blessings. And though we may have 10 reasons to complain on any given day, we have 10,000 more reasons to worship. Amen? Amen. Thank you uh, for doing just that this morning, uh, for reminding each other, for our, reminding our community, for reminding our world that we still believe that there is a reason to lift up our heads and our hands and believe that the best is still yet to come. Now, just to change lanes a little bit, uh, we are doing something that we normally do um, in January or at the end of the year, maybe. Um, but everything else is upside down, so it won't seem too odd. But really, um, we all have those things that we do just once a year, maybe. Maybe you don't do it at the beginning of the year, but you just kind of do it once um, a year. And maybe not per se once a year, but you just do it very seldom or very infrequently, right? We have those things that we just check in on every so often, and maybe it's more like a few months for some things, but I'm sure there's plenty of things that uh, we don't have to consciously think about, um, but our brains have internalized this six-month or this 12-month schedule, right, that reminds us, hey, it's about time to do that thing. Uh, the sort of thing ranges from checking batteries, right? Something goes off in your brain. Hey, I need to check the battery on that thing. Um, changing light bulbs, um, paying insurance or doing taxes, right? Um, doing a routine service on your vehicle or some sort of unit uh, around the house. And likewise, uh, and maybe more relative for us, we all have those doctor appointments that we only go to once or maybe once or twice a year. Uh, we go to the dentist uh, once or twice a year. We get yearly physicals or get blood work done. Uh, but you know, while it may get a bit overwhelming sometimes, it's almost easier to keep up with things that we do every day than to fit in things that we only do once a year, right? Uh, and we have those things that we, 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 you know, we do every day and we get our schedule so full, uh, we struggle to make time for those rare instances. But the thought is, if you make time for them once a year and we do the things the right way and get a thorough checkup or thorough um, inspection or whatever it is, you won't have to worry about it again for a while, or at least that's the idea. Uh, but things don't really work that efficiently and reliably all the time, do they? Uh, because sometimes things that are supposed to last six months only last three, and sometimes a yearly appointment isn't enough. Sometimes, and maybe it's because of unexpected or unforeseen circumstances or developments, sometimes a follow-up or a checkup is required sooner then you planned. And we've all been there, haven't we? Uh, if you have glasses or vision trouble, you can relate to this. You know, insurance might say you only get to go once a year, but sometimes your vision doesn't want to wait until the next year, right? You need to get checked up sooner. Uh, and all the factors and elements don't always play by some of those uh, rules and guidelines. Uh, sometimes, whether it's your vision or something else, sometimes you have to pull back in the dock. You have to go back into the clinic before the expected time. And these things can be inconvenient, can't they? They can be frustrating. They can be disrupting to our schedules. We didn't think we'd have to deal with it again until next year or until next month or until six months down the road. Uh, usually the reason why there needs to be a re-examination or a checkup sooner than planned is because something disrupted the plans. Speaking of which, 2020 has had a few disruptions and inconvenience, hasn't it? It could, couldn't have been more ill-timed because the number 2020, the year, it, it just has so much potential. Uh, I mean, everyone couldn't help themselves at the beginning of this year, whether they were Christians or not, casting a vision for the year, setting goals and expectations. I mean, the year is just begging to be this year that big things happen and good things happen. Uh, speaking of 2020 and the perfect vision right, that we think about, the number just seemed to be suggesting that there could be no more of an ideal year in front of us. 
And even if numerology and all is all hype and no substance, there's nothing wrong with setting goals and vowing to strive and reach and seek and obtain the very best you can. And if things just cooperate, if life just provides and facilitates the right necessities and opportunities, we'll be set. But 2020 hasn't really cooperated, has it? It's taken far more than it's provided. It's frustrated far more than it's facilitated. So for every Christian, for every church that set goals and dream dreams now that we're just a few, mo- we're a few months into this whirlwind of chaos that derailed all of those or at least drastically altered them, now that we're over halfway done with this year, I think it's time for us to reexamine our goals and reconsider this year's purpose. Now, there may be some, and maybe you have thought this, well, you know, there's this, tempta- this temptation that says, you know what, it's a bust at this point. I mean, why don't we just ride it out and just sweep it under the rug, count it as a loss, and we'll start fresh next year. But come on, what happens if things get so bad in other areas of your life it, you, that, that require seldom attention? What happens if you ignore the signs that something needs to be addressed? Yeah, I only really go once a year, but something isn't as it should be. Should you really put this off? Yeah, I know I usually all, it only requires attention every so many months, but it's just not working like it should. And, and what if it quits working? Yeah, I know I just got the thing looked at, but it's not working as it should be or something doesn't seem right. Can we really afford to let it go? And come on, Christians. Church of the living God, bride of Jesus Christ, filled with His presence, called for His purpose, commissioned for His kingdom's growth, glory, and gain. That's who we are, isn't it? I know things didn't pan out like we envisioned them for 2020. I know there's been some discouraging, frustrating, and disruption in this year. I know we've been overwhelmed by a lot, but that does not change who we are. And that doesn't change what we've been called to do and what we've been invited to be a part of. The enemy would love for us to believe that and just put off moving forward until things get easier. But we believe. We believe that this year isn't a waste and what remains can be reclaimed and be redeemed. Yet our vision may have been off, our plans may have gone off the rails, but that's because we are only shooting into the dark at best. It's like that old Scottish poem that I'm sure you all read every day. Um, Leave it to me to bring this into your life. But mouse, you are not alone. Improving foresight may be vain. The best laid schemes of mice and men often go awry. Now, I know you didn't come here to take inspiration from an 18th century Scottish poet. But the wisest man that ever lived said it this way. The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That's from Proverbs 16, and he says again in Proverbs 19, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Our perfectly envisioned plans are still subpar and high risk at best. Because our world is far from perfect, and even still gravity does not always bend at our will, does it? So here we are, a month past halfway for the year 2020, and as a pastor, I have to say, it's been difficult trying to stay motivated as well as convincingly and enthusiastically motivate all of you, Uh, but what this year has done is taught me and required me to seek the Lord with more diligence and fervor and determination than ever before. It's also showed me that often my seeking Him in years past has been so passive and distracted. And isn't it true 
That for many of us, we just kind of expect God to be there to prop our plans up and sustain us and bail us out as quick as things might not go as we thought they should go. Like so many things, we might check in with God weekly or daily, but we really only seriously and wholeheartedly seek Him on select occasions. Maybe it's a holiday, a New Year resolution, maybe because of distress that you're under. Otherwise, we just keep a check on the fuel gauge or the dashboard to make sure there aren't any alert lights on. Well, this year, the whole dashboard is lit up. And some of y'all's cars look like this. I know some of them are not bad symbols, so don't fact check me on that. But some of those are warnings, right? And if you ignore them, some things might happen. This whole year, the dashboard is blinking and the vehicle is vibrating. There's smoke coming out of every pipe and even the vents in the car, right? Now, we had a car when I was little or younger that the fuses were cross-wired, and I believe the Latin for those kind of cars, the word is called lemon. Um, but it, it was bad right from go. And I mean, it was on a sunny day, the windshield wipers would just start going off, and you couldn't stop them. I mean, you had to pull over and pull the fuse out and hope you pulled the right fuse out. The windshield wipers would go on, and then the heat would just kind of start blaring out at full blast, and it was just really delightful when it's 80 degrees outside, and this just hot air is just booming at max speed. Uh, but that's what I think about when I think about 2020. And Christians, church, if we don't pull over and seek the Lord, who will? Who will? If we don't seek Him and desire Him, what can we expect to be our outcome? This isn't to say the chaos that we've faced is from Him. It's not. It's a product of a broken and sinful and godless world. It's a product even more of our ever-growing complacency and passivity as His people. For far too long, for far too long, we have stood up and told God what our plans are. I grew up in church, and one of the invitation songs that we sing all the time was, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. But our generation has changed it, and it doesn't even make sense, but we still sing it. Have, here's mine own way, Lord. God, here is what I want. Here is what I expect. Here is what I'm asking for and looking for, and I really don't consider another way as an option. Here's how I think this should go, and that should go. Lord, here's my plans for spring, summer, fall, and winter. Here's my budget, God. I'm really going to need you to pull through on this one. Here's my hopes, my dreams, my goals, and intentions. Would you please sign, seal, and deliver, O oh Lord? And I, I paid for Amazon Prime, so I hope it can get here in a couple days. We make our idols, and we expect and ask God to bless them. You know, back when everyone was casting visions for 2020, I'm going to go out on a limb and say nobody stood up and read from Exodus 32 anywhere. And while the verse I want us to look at and the chapter that follows it, I'm not saying there's a direct comparison or a direct through line, but I do want to look at what the people of God went through because God allowed them to go through it. And I want to consider if there's something we can learn from what they went through. Again, I don't think anybody stood up in a church and read from Exodus 32, verse number 35, where the Scripture says, The Lord plagued the people. Now, if you're reading Exodus, you might think, Oh yeah, He sent plagues to Egypt. <laughs> These are not those people. These are His people. They're on Mount Sinai. They're in the camp that God has 
called them out of Egypt. They're in the camp that would become Israel. The Lord sent the plague, the plagues that he sent on Egypt, but he rerouted them. The Lord sent a plague to the people because of what they did with the calf. Now, y'all know the story. Aaron uh, was dealing with some people who were worried about Moses' whereabouts, and they said, well, listen, he's up there trying to get God to tell us what's up. Why don't we just tell God what we want and what we think, and we'll just say to him, hey, give us what we want. So they built an idol, right? They built a golden calf, which represented their hopes, their dreams, their plans, their intentions, and they said, hey, God, this is our idol. This is what we want. Would you please approve it? And God's response was not what they expected. Now, I promise this gets better, so just endure, endure to the end if you can. I'm telling you, I didn't arrive here because I wanted to, but this is where God has brought me and what I think God is saying to us. Because whether you want to call the deal that we've dealt with in America a plague or not, a pandemic, whatever you want to name it, God is speaking to us through it. We can't deny that. God is calling us to surrender and covet His plans. To withdraw from and repent of using I, me, and my and start praying you, your, and yours again. King James, thou, thy, and thine again. So often we go to God and say, here's what I'd like. We come to church and we expect to find a word that confirms and confronts or comforts what we already intend on. And believe me, there's a lot of places out there that do this. One prominent leader actually repented of doing this this past week. And I think this season has taught a lot of people in my positions and challenged us like God challenged Ezekiel. You are handling my word. Are you doing it the right way? Because here's what actually happens. God comes to us with a plan that might, often does, challenge and conflict with our plan. And it removes us from our comfort zone. Not because he's against us or has, he has bad things for us. Quite the contrary, he is for us and he has plans to grow us and take us to places we never thought about being. But we might have to go a different way to get there than we would expect. Are we willing to be stretched rather than be served? I mean, I know everybody likes breakfast in bed. But are you willing to get up if you have to? Are you willing to be led rather than just be met? And it's great to be met where we are, but what if God wants to lead us to somewhere we aren't? And what if it takes us through a valley that we didn't anticipate going through? And what if to get to the place we want to be spiritually and personally, are we willing to take that step of faith, that leap of faith into the unknown if it means getting to what we've always wanted? You know, we are so much like the children of Israel in their expedition out of Egypt into the Exodus story. Earlier this year, you may remember that we were in the middle of studying this story. Just before our schedule got turned inside out, we concluded with the last few chapters of Exodus. And I checked on the record, we studied Exodus 33 on February 19th. It's remarkable how appropriate that was for us and for me. And little did we know what we were about to face. And this taught me as a pastor, as a leader in God's church, when you're casting a vision and looking for vision, you're far more likely to bring an appropriate word when you just preach through the text than trying to find some trendy or force something good in or that sounds good. The impact is different. Is the, dif the difference is a superficial impact or a truly spiritual impact. 
We live in a world of buzzwords and hashtags, but nonetheless, I believe God cast a true and powerful vision over us at the beginning of the year. I just didn't realize how he was piecing it together. On the first Sunday of this year, you'll remember, we took advice from John the Baptist when he said, pointing to Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to redeem, who comes to take away the sin of the world. Yes, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, but Jesus can lead us through and out of what we're facing. The challenge God set over us was to be beholders, even if it was hard to be believers. Seek out Jesus and His redeeming work every day, even when our faith is being tested. Just don't stop beholding the Lamb who is always doing this. We arrive at a place where we know we might not always see joy, but we can always see Jesus. And if we behold Jesus, we will eventually find joy and break free from sin. Now, little did I know that where God was taking us in our Exodus story and study was to help take this to an intended frame of reference. As Israel bumbles their way through the wilderness, they struggle to believe. And here's where they mess up. When they quit believing, they quit behaving. And here's the thing. God kept blessing them and performing wonders and signs to get them to behold Him. And here's where all this started clicking for me. All those signs and wonders quit working on Israel because they started taking them for granted. They grow numb to them. As hard as it was to believe, we can kind of relate, can't we? The church often gets taken aback when some individual stands up claiming to represent God, but we don't realize that God is working every single day and He doesn't need our help. He isn't beholden to some smooth-talking somebody, right? Every day, God is working miracles and wonders, and we've grown accustomed or we've grown so numb to His glorious power, we don't acknowledge it anymore. Israel got complacent. After the exodus, the Red Sea, the fire and clouds, the bread, the water and quail, they had seen so much and they just kind of got used to it. So God changed his strategy. God told Israel that since all his wonders wasn't impacting them, he would allow a trial and tribulation to come their way. And the same kind of plague he sent on Egypt, he sent on them. And that got their attention. I bet it did. God told Israel that while it was his intent to them, for them to keep making progress, it was his suggestion they stay put at the mountain until they figure out what was missing between him and them. The people of Israel heard Moses and they said, that's, a bad, that's bad news. Yeah, read it, Exodus 33, verse 4. They heard Moses' word and they said, that's bad. It was bad. That was a disastrous word. And that's really how every preacher hopes that people respond to his message. You go out of here and somebody says, hey, how was church? It was bad. What was bad? Everything was bad. Moses came off the mountain with some bad news, and the people were saying, that's a disaster. But church, I'm serious. I think we can learn something from how they responded to this situation. Moses begins desperately seeking God. And while the majority couldn't get out of their tents because there was a plague running wild in the camp, and they couldn't leave their homes because of the contagious plague, so they gather in their tent and joined in desperately seeking God remotely. Moses and God talk about what Israel is missing. They aren't living like they've got a connection to God. They're so distracted by so other lesser things. They were missing all that God had in store for them. So the scripture says that Moses built a relationship with God like a friend has with someone. And down in verse 12 through 18, listen to how this conversation kind of culminates. 
Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. So they were God's people. God promised to lead them, but there was this disconnect because of their sin and because of their idols. And Moses is trying to say, God, what do we have to do to reconcile this divide to get rid of this disconnect? And God promises Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I haven't changed my message. I haven't changed my posture. I still love you and promise to be with you like I always have. Right now, the point of this is that you might understand what's most important. And then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Now Moses, God is hearing Moses talk the language he wants him to hear, wants to hear from him. Because God, Moses is saying, God, we realize what matters most is you. Not all this other superficial stuff that we have got distracted by. For how then will it be known that, your people, that we are your people and that I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. Moses says, God, we want to be distinct and recognized as your people. And God says, now you're talking, Moses. You want to be different? That's why I've put you in this situation. So you might understand how you can rise up and be distinct and be recognized and be, have an impact on your world. The Lord says to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. But Moses knows, Moses knows himself, and he knows that he walks off the mountain and goes back to the camp, that it's just going to be the same old, same old. He knows his tendency, he knows his nature, he knows that everybody is going to drift away slowly but surely, unless we actively pursue God with our whole heart. So Moses makes a request from God. He says, please show me your glory. Now this might not translate to us in the way that it would have came across to God. But I want to try to unpack what Moses was asking from God in that point. Moses asked to see God's glory. Moses is wanting what God said to be internalized in his heart. He doesn't just want to walk away from this meeting and go back to normal. He's asking God to ruin his desire for everything but him. Do you hear that? When you ask to see God's glory, here's what you put on the line. God, I want to experience you. And God's saying to us, you know if you do that, you know if you take that step, you will ruin your desire for everything of this world. And you will only be satisfied with me. And Moses says, that's what I want. And this is when our hearts start beating. And we start wondering what it might cost us and what it might do to our normal lives. But Moses wasn't about to settle for normal. Not anymore. He prays for God to ruin his desire for everything but him by showing him a preview. God says, Moses, you can't see the whole measure. I'm going to have to hide you behind a cliff in a rock because if you see all of it, you'll die because you're not able to stand in my presence. And this wouldn't happen instantly. 
He asks for God to purge him and quench him of any desire for lesser things. So what does he do? He goes up the mountain and prays and fasts for 40 days, emptying himself of the world, denying his flesh and his impulses, breaking his will, surrendering and placing himself totally at the mercy of God. How bad do you want it, church? That's how bad Moses wanted it. He asked God to ruin him and resurrect a brand new Moses. So Moses rises up early, heads up the mountain alone. 34, 1 through 8 tells us what happened next. The Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first, which you broke. Be ready in the morning. Come up in the mountain to Sinai and come up in the morning to Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No man shall come with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain, neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai. As the Lord commanded him, he took in, his, took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of fathers upon children and so forth. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Quickly, consistently, and persistently for 40 days, he bows and prays, asking God to ruin him of a desire for anything less or anyone less than him. Later on, he comes down the mountain glowing and trembling from what he had just experienced. In fact, the whole mountain trembled. When the people saw Moses, they trembled too. And he was the first of his kind. Someone who understood that God was inviting him to something spectacular. He understood the test of this life. Make us realize how unreliable and unsatisfying this world can be. They point us to God. And beginning with Moses, God began drawing out a generation of beholders, and he still is asking and inviting us today to be a people who don't just look for what God might do for us, but surrender to who he is over us. To be a generation who would never allow big questions to make us question how big God is and that he still has a plan, even if we don't understand it. And rather, we run to Him and rest in Him and delight in Him even when they, we were running from this life and we don't have rest and no delight at all. We still believe. We still behold. And even when there's no progress or prosperity in sight, there's still a powerful and a perfect God to behold. If we would bow and worship Him and seek and exalt Him, if we are willing to tremble for just a little bit, not in fear of what's going on around us, but in 
confidence and re- at the revelation of God we're experiencing. Would you be willing to say, you know what, I want answers and I want to know what's next and I want to be confident in tomorrow, but I can wait a little bit. Right now, I just want to tremble in the presence and in the power and the perfection of God. Tremble at knowing that God can be known and that God can be found. Tremble at how sinners like us can be saved. You see, I know that 2020 hasn't gone like anybody expected or hoped, and I know there's a part of us, especially in this country, that wants to blame and find fault. But guess who's sovereign over all of this? Guess who's still bigger than all of it? And no, he might not have sent it, but you bet he intends to use it. See, God isn't like us. He doesn't blame others when something happens under his watch, even if there's a good reason. He takes responsibility over all the messes that happen on his planet. Now, responsibility is not equal blame. Responsibility means I'm not going to walk away from it. I'm going to clean up this mess, and I'm going to address the cause of it. I'm going to reach down and show the ones wallowing in their own sin in their flesh and offer them a superior, higher way. It's going to require them to believe, but why wouldn't they believe in the God who bit into the mess He didn't cause and wasn't required to address? So here we are for a vision check, admitting that we might not be happy with it, but confess, confessing that we might not have responded the way we ought to. Now, I don't know about you, you might have been praising the Lord since day one, but maybe you're like me, and some days you've crossed your arms a little too much. And while we may be tempted to try to either strong-arm the situation or just call it quits until 2021, I think God is wanting us to be willing to stop where we are and tremble in the unknown for just a minute. Because maybe it's good for once that we don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe it's good for just a little bit that we, as smart as we are, as much as we can predict the weather and the economy and everything else, maybe it's good that we now find ourselves in a situation where we don't know what's going to happen next. Maybe in a world where we plan and make appointments and we save and we schedule and we vote and we scrape and we claw and we protest and defend, maybe what we need right now is to do something the church hasn't ever really taught us we should do. Maybe what we need now is not to run from the uncertainty or try to find more clarity. Maybe what we need the most is to tremble in the presence and in the goodness of of God. I know you got questions, but maybe we don't need to move past this so quickly. Maybe our being stuck in one place is to make this our only viable option. Maybe you would be willing to seek God for His glory and His glory alone. Not because we want something from Him, but because we just want Him. It's from that place that we can reach a spirituality that is rare in our modern church. We're often unwilling to surrender because of what we don't know, but what if that's how we can begin to grow? I believe God is drawing out from among us today a people who will say, I want to behold Him. And I want to ask Him to ruin me of any desire that's contrary to Him.
And I know when I get to this place, I feel like I'm on the edge of the earth. And I don't know what is underneath me. And I feel like I'm losing my clarity and my confidence. Maybe that's the step you can take to where the solid rock is right there in front of you. And maybe in the moment of this tremble, you can find a confidence unrivaled by anything of this world. If we could be beholders who will come and experience this holy tremble. Where we worship amidst the unknown, praying to know and experience God alone. Church, I want to ask you today. I know we got to keep a distance up here and all that, but would you come? Is anybody willing to say, I want to come and just tremble in the presence of God? I'm not asking for answers. I'm not asking for him to explain. I just want to experience what it's like to put my life totally in his hands. Because after all, I don't need anything from him. I just need him. Let me pray for you. Father, your presence is so powerful. Lord, I don't know about the rest of the folks here today, but I can feel your presence today. And in that presence, I begin to tremble. In that presence, in your presence, I begin to feel that I don't know and I don't have the answers that I'm looking for. But I know that you do. But God, I'm not asking for those answers right now. I just want to know what it's like to experience your presence. I just want to tremble in the presence of an almighty and holy God who would step down to this earth and be in my presence, even though I'm so unworthy. Father, maybe somebody wants to come forward as we listen to this song and lay their lives down in front of you. And maybe for this one instance, they're not going to ask for anything. They're just going to behold you and experience what it's like to be in your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.